Well, good morning. Today is uh, December 10th, 2023. We're starting Lesson 5 in our series on Pursuing Contentment. And the title of this lesson is The Dangers of Discontentment um, 1. We'll probably have two lessons on this. I encourage everybody to come sit close so we can make sure we pick up comments and everybody can hear what you're saying. Uh, start off with... Um, kind of pre-class life hack, which could prove to be important if you're fond of reading obscure North African philosophers. Lastly, if you sit, it is a great rest from work, but if you sit for long, it becomes a strain. And you might ask, why did I put that in there? It's because I thought it was a ridiculous thing to say, and it was interesting, and that it was a footnote to our um, opening quote. Um, So before we get to that, let's bring to mind the things that we've covered so far. And a few of the words associated with contentment throughout the Bible, things like satisfaction, happiness, serenity, settledness, sufficiency, fullness, filled, stoicism, etc. There's a lot of different words. Contentment has many facets to it. Uh, There's not just one way of looking at contentment. The doctrine of providence, I think it was in the Belgic Confession, tells us it gives us unspeakable comfort. And that Jesus didn't hesitate to identify as someone who uh, should be, was, or is meek. So that's some of the takeaways from our earlier classes. Um, But Joseph Hall who we've quoted before on contentment, has uh, this quote that I'm going to read. And the footnote to the quote was that life hack I just put, which I thought was very interesting. But let's read this quote. The nature of man man is extremely querulous. That is complaining in a petulant or whining manner. We know not what we would have. And when we have it, we know not how to like it. We would be happy, yet we would not die. We would live long, yet we would not be old. We would be kept in order, yet would not be chastised with affliction. We are loath to work, yet we are weary of doing nothing. We have no list that is a desire to stir, yet we find long sitting painful. We have no mind to leave our bed, yet find it a kind of sickness to lie long. We would marry, but not be troubled with household cares. When once we are married, we wish we had kept single. What does he know, right? (laughs) What does he know? This is just some dude from the 1600s. What does he know, right? What what can we learn from people of long ago? Apparently nothing. What did they know about the condition of man? Sure seems to me that not much not much has changed. Queerless. What a good word. Man's queerless condition. The same problems today that we've had before. And I hope that this idea that we can't be made happy is something that resonates with us so that when we think about what the scriptures say about discontent, we realize it's describing the condition that is endemic to man everywhere and at all times. This isn't a time-restricted 
idea that today's disposition of heart is not materially different than go all the way back to the children of Israel, which we're going to look at at some depth today. The potential of discontent sliding into our lives unaware is real. It's going to catch you in a way you didn't think, but it can catch you when you're sitting down. It can catch you when you're lying down. It can get you when you're sick, get you when you're well. But today we're going to focus on just a little more precisely, and I don't think we'll get through the whole class on discontentment one, so we'll have another one next week. But I think today we're going to spend nearly all of our time discussing the idea of murmuring. Murmuring is a really big deal in Scripture. It's a topic I don't think we spend enough time discussing, but it's a big deal. So a murmur is not inherently a bad or sinful thing. Um, When it stands alone, it just simply means a soft and largely indistinct sound. Uh, The trying to remember what the Greek word was, gongustus, is that what it is? Do you remember? Um, But you might uh, hear it come from the idea of cooing pigeons, cooing birds. It's just a soft, rhythmic sound, indistinct. Nobody's saying anything particular. I mean, maybe if you're a pigeon, it's particular, but... If you're not a pigeon, presumably it's not all that particular, right? And so by itself, murmuring or a murmur is nothing to worry about. Uh, We have murmurations. I don't know why, but murmurations have become a thing. People take pictures of murmurations. You guys know what a murmuration is? Am I the only one that's aware of the thing today called a murmuration? You guys don't know what murmurations are? That's embarrassing. I was going to put a picture of murmurations in here. But I didn't. I should have. A murmuration is a flock of birds as they move in a pattern. So you see these pictures when they swirl up this way and then they change? Those are called murmurations. Beats me. I don't know why. But it's really the latest thing. You guys need to get up to speed on murmurations. Uh, I don't know if... I, I, I don't know that fish... I don't know if you can say fish murmurate. Well, they have similar movements, but I think it's restricted to birds. I think the definition relates to birds, not fish. Well, I think they should change it. It could be, and, and maybe you're just exactly the one who should lead that charge. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to murmur, so, for instance, the heart can have a murmur. It has a murmur. It might be a life-threatening condition. It might be nothing at all. You might hear a group of people expressing affirmation about an idea through a murmur. I might say, God is great, and you might say, mm-hmm, right? So you can have, you can have positive murmuration or murmurs, but anything that might be said to be described as an indistinct sound uh, in response to something can probably be put under the label of a murmur. Murmuring, however, is a different kind of word. So murmur, murmuring, and murmuration are three different ideas that have an underlying relationship. But I'm pretty sure there are really no examples in the Bible describing murmuring as a virtuous activity. 
So maybe there are, but even if there are, it's few and far between, and we can distinguish between those vices of murmuring and the potential soft affirmations that might be expressed by a group of people. So for our purposes today, murmuring is only going to be viewed in a negative way. Yeah, that's right. So murmuring is a, uh, is a bad idea. So how bad is murmuring? So Thomas Watson, in his book on the art of contentment, he has some serious words of warning for those who are murmuring. He writes, contentment excludes a vexatious, that is an annoyance or a frustration, repining, a discontent and a fretting. Murmuring is properly the daughter of discontent. I mourn in my complaint, he says in Psalm 52.2. He does not say I murmur in my complaint. Murmuring is no better than mutiny in the heart. It's a rising up against God. When the sea is rough and unquiet, it casts forth nothing but foam. Just so, when the heart is discontented, it casts forth the foam of murmuring, anger, and impatience. Murmuring is nothing else but the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. That's good. That's picturesque. And that murmuring is nothing else but the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. And he was, he didn't stop there. He raises the bar a bit when he describes murmuring in another section. He said, the murmurer charges God with folly. This is the language or or rather blasphemy of a murmuring spirit. That is to say, God might have been wiser and a better God if he had done things differently. The murmurer is a mutineer. The murmurer is a mutineer. So we have mutiny, we have anger, impatience, we have blasphemy, we have folly. These are all things that come from a discontented heart. It gives birth to murmuring. Well, I mean, there's Watson saying these things. Now, other commentators are equally clear on the dangers of murmuring. They're, it's, they're, they're equally clear. We don't, have, uh, we don't have just one voice who kind of focused on this and said, this is the end of all things. So... I would say commentators take a very similar view in the, cross, in the spectrum of murmuring. So let's look, at, let's look at, those are the Puritan commentators. So what, what does the Bible say about murmuring? So that's what we're going to look at for the rest of the class today. Let's start with Jude. Now, I don't want to discuss all the details of Jude. It takes forever, and um, scores of words have been written on this. Um, and it's, it's, Jude is just a strange book, right? It's just a strange book. So in verses 14 to 19, we read, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, these wicked men that have been described in the earlier verses, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly from among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, who are these people? How do we characterize them? They're grumblers. They're complainers. Walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ 
how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. So what do we make of this? Let's stop for just a second. Jude says that Jesus is going to come with 10,000s of his saints arrayed against what type of people? Grumblers and complainers, the murmurers. Now, I don't know what the taxonomy of sins look like in your mind, but when you picture things that can go wrong with the heart, do you picture an arrayed battle of Jesus with ten thousands of his saints coming against those who are grumblers and complainers? The, the murmurers? Now, the word murmur is not... An English word murmur is not the, the word that is, gets translated by our English. Uh, it does in some translations, but that's the word that's being used here is these, these grumblers. So this strikes me as raising its relative position that murmuring, whatever it might be in these uprisings, this mutineer perspective of the heart, has got to be bad. If Jesus is arrayed, he's coming with 10,000s of his saints to execute vengeance on people who are murmurers, who are complainers, who are grumblers. So whatever else Jude might be saying, he's saying murmuring is a serious sin. So as we, we're, we're here looking at how the Bible is depicting these ideas of murmuring, and I think Watson was right as he's channeling Jude here to describe murmuring the way it is. Let's look at another passage these two chapters in Numbers 16 and 17, we find the account of the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and On, and what you might euphemistically describe as their attempt at a management reorganization of the people of God in the wilderness. Right? So they were complaining, Moses, 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 what are you doing here? You got too much on your plate. And Moses was really angry with this. Uh, and God pronounced a severe judgment against these people, and such that the earth split open and just swallowed their families, possessions, their tents, everything, whole, just gone. And then there was a fire that erupted and burned up everything as Moses was delineating who was on what side. So you get the picture that these people had come, and they were conducting themselves in this way, and Moses was angry with them. He saw something in what they were doing that was wrong. And in verse 11 in number 16, it says, Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain or you murmur about him? So it's not even only overt acts directly spoken against them, but Moses is saying, you've been, you people are just complaining, complaining, complaining. So in verse 10, before we get to verse 11, but in verse 10, Moses rebukes Korah by reminding him that God's been good to you. He's been good to you in the sons of Korah. He's given you this ministerial role uh, that you guys have in the service of um, the tabernacle, and you still complain. God's being good to you. I'm reminding you of God's goodness, and you're still complaining about what God is doing. And so then we have this 
eruption of this judgment that comes on the people, the earth opens and just swallows them. Moses told the people, watch and let's see who's the prophet of God. Let's see who's the one that God has appointed to be in charge. So he wants everyone to observe this. The earth opens up and boom, they're all gone. They're just swallowed up, sent to perdition, right? That would, imagine how visceral an impression that would make on you. And then Eleazar, the priest, builds a memorial out of these instruments of incense and such. He builds a memorial, and they, they do things with the altar. We're not going to get all those details. But he builds a memorial to remind the people of what just happened. These murmurers were just destroyed. And then you have verse 11 that says, Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And then on, on verse 41, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained. They murmured against Moses and Aaron saying, well, you've killed the people of the Lord. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure I just saw the earth open up and <laughs> swallow all these people. Maybe we ought to have some introspection here and not go back to the behavior that caused that to happen. But that's not what happens. When discontent governs your soul, there's always something to complain about. Always something to complain about. When, when discontentment is a governing factor in your soul, you will never be at a loss to complain about something. And seeing a whole bunch of people get swallowed up and buried isn't going to change that. You've got a serious heart problem. So in number 17, the story continues, and we have with it the account of Aaron's rod. Do you guys remember Aaron's rod where everybody brings their sticks and we're going to see who's really in charge here? Well, who did God appoint to lead his people? And it's Aaron's rod, Aaron's rod that blossoms and produces the flowers and the almonds. And so we, we have this account that God is displaying who he wants running things with the children of Israel. So in verse 5, it's the Lord who's speaking. And, it's, and it says, And it shall be that the rod of man whom I chose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints, the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they make against you. All right? So, in fact, listen to what God's saying. He said, I'm going to rid the complaints against you, Moses and Aaron. They're complaining against you. And since I put you here, it's an implicit complaint against myself. And the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's rod back from the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. So one of the points of why we're looking at these two chapters and to get the sense or the weight or the magnitude of what's being discussed here, um, God equates this murmuring and this complaining with rebellion. He calls them the rebels. I want this as a sign against these rebels. I love to exaggerate. I do it a million times a day. It comes naturally to me. I love exaggeration. God is not exaggerating when he equates this murmuring and complaining of God's people with rebellion against him. He's accurately describing the scope of their sin. Murmuring or complaining is rebellion. That's how number 16 and 17 wants us to think about it. Any questions?
We're going to look at a few more passages, but I want to... No complaints. <laughs> no complaints. <laughs> Questions are appropriate. And complaints are not, so that's good. All right. difference between mourning, which you did mention earlier, and mourning, lamenting, or some of the songs you can talk about, pouring out our complaint, that in one bucket, difference between that and mourning, would be a fascinating, some of this, but it would be a fascinating thing at some point to really study because Ditches, right? And I've seen some that would almost mistake such things as you, you should always put on a happy face. Just always put on a happy face, which is not to be said. And uh, also, uh, some who would just murder, like go into the ditch. So you really are just murdering. So there's a there's a difference that's really down there. There is, and, and that's actually on the itinerary in, in our section on objections. So uh, we're going to cover that. Um, and I think, you know, Watson is certainly aware of that, but I think his goal there was a play on the, the, the M sound. The morning is not murmuring. He's, he's like that in a lot of places. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a valid observation, and it's a deeper observation, and it's a common uh, question on the topic of uh, contentment, and so I've got a section of it in our objections and obstacles. So, any other comments? Okay, so let's. Uh, I'm going to move over to Numbers uh, 14. This there's a chapter title given by the publishers of the New King James that says, Israel refuses to enter Canaan. That's true, but that's not really telling you anything important other than they just refuse to go in. Well, um, so I'm suggesting that when they, the next edition of these scriptures get printed, they should retitle it, The Murmurers and Their Carcasses. I think that would be a better title to describe what Numbers 14 says. So Numbers 14, which takes place before our chapter on uh, our previous section on 16 and 17, picks up with the report of the spies. So Moses had appointed these men to go out, look at the land, find out, and they came back, and all of them but one set came back and said, look, it's just, this is a hopeless cause. We're never going to get anywhere. And all the people are distressed about this, right? So there was one report that came back says, Shouldn't be a problem. God says he's going to do it. And in fact, everything's big in the land. It's going to be great. And the others are saying, we're all going to get killed. This is a disaster, right? So uh, in Numbers uh, 14, 1 uh, through 4, which I'll read, it's not up here. So the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. This was at the report of what had, uh, of the, the spies that had come back. And all the children of Israel complained, that is, they murmured against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. 
So that's their response with the report. So the account opens, and I don't want to make too fine a distinction here, but the account opens that the people lifted up their voices and cried at, the, at this report. And then I think it's telling us that perhaps at a later time, they murmured. It, 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 it describes, they lift up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And then in verse 2, all the children of Israel complained and murmured against Moses and Aaron. I, I, think, I think we're seeing this as kind of a repetition, but also maybe a distinction. I don't know that the time was all that much. I'm, I'm not trying to make too fine a point between here. Uh, there's a lot of overlay between the uh, murmuring and their crying, and it, it doesn't really affect us here. But look at, look at what's written about them in verses 26 through 30, which I've got up here. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints with the children of Israel they make against me, and say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Ouch. God describes this whole group of people as an evil congregation. That's his term for them, an evil congregation. He heard their murmuring, their grumbling, and the discontented stirrings of their hearts. And I think it's kind of interesting because we see two vocal responses, right? We hear that they, they wept and they cried, and we also hear of their murmuring and their complaining. And God makes it very clear that it doesn't matter how quiet or similar to a cooing sound your murmuring takes, and it doesn't matter if it's expressed to someone else or if it's simply said to yourself, and it doesn't matter if no one else knows about it, God hears your murmurs. And he understands your murmurs. He understands that complaint. And he takes it personally. He says, this is what you're saying against me. You've spoken this in my hearing. So God gives no point of refuge for people who want to murmur quietly, who have the good sense not to come out directly and say something in opposition, but who only murmur quietly or complain in their hearts. This discontent, God says, I hear it, and you're an evil congregation for doing it. So the depiction, the reason we're looking at this passage in Numbers 14, is this depiction helps us understand the substantial weight of the sin of murmuring and discontent. That the chapter, this lesson is called The Dangers of Discontent. It's serious. All right. Uh, any questions or observations before we move on to the next example? All right. So let's sing about discontent. Psalm 106 opens with these words. Praise the Lord. We'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord and who can declare all his praise. It's a wonderful opening. It's clear to all of us. Um, but the rest of the psalm contains a history about this time in the wilderness. And there's a section in here that 
describes the events of these chapters in Numbers. In verses 23 through 25, we read, Therefore he said that he would destroy them. And had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not hear the voice, of, or did not heed the voice of the Lord. So let's look at these four observations made about these people. They despised the pleasant land. God gave them a pleasant land. They despised it. This goes back to what Hall was describing, a man's queerless condition. You give him something good, he doesn't know how to like it. Don't assume you know what something good is. And you don't. You don't know what's best for you. They didn't believe his word. Here they were. God spoke to them. Pillar, cloud, fire, Moses. The earth opens. God speaks to his people. They didn't believe him. said, no, I don't believe what God's saying. They complained in their tents. They complained inside their tents. They complained outside their tents. They complained around their tents. They complained to each other. They murmured in their hearts. And they didn't listen to what God told them. I've given you warnings. I've described your condition. You're rebels. You need to stop. And they did not heed the warnings about complaining and murmuring. So here we have in Psalm 106, we've got an account, a summary of what happened in Numbers. So we're not really learning anything new, right? This is a recap. So why do we have it? Why, is, why did the psalmist record this? Because we need reminders. And you might not read Numbers very frequently, but as we sing through the Psalms, as we read the Psalms, we're given another lesson. God thinks this lesson is an important lesson to learn. And so we sing about what he did. We sing about his destroying the evil congregation in the wilderness. We recount these things because we need to sing of these things. That's sort of a different take, isn't it? To think through the singing of the history of Israel to be reminded of the warnings that God gave the children of Israel. Sing of the warnings. That's a different way of thinking about our worship, isn't it? We have to remind ourselves, we have to stir up our hearts to be reminded not to participate in the activities that judged God's people in earlier times. That's Psalm 106. What comments do you have or thoughts about that observation? It's when we look at it, and we look at the history, you think, what are you, nuts? Uh, Do you want to go back to the leeks and the garlics of Egypt, and you think that was a good time? Uh, It's it's hard to imagine. You were slaves. And, you know, make bricks without straw and whatever. It, It just, there's hundreds of years of slavery, and you think it was all nothing because you're in the wilderness with no... Uh, 
visible day, display of support, right? Except for the, the pillars you see day and night, right? Those are visible displays, but no, we're not going to do that. Well, we got this tabernacle thing, but, you know, you got to pack it up and you, and you move it, right? Who likes to pack and unpack, right? It's such a hassle, right? Living in the wilderness is a hassle. And, well, they got, they got Canaanites. What a hassle, you know? The grapes, they're so big. It's a hassle, right? I like the little packs of grapes. You know, right? That's what they're saying, isn't it? And God says, don't worry about the Canaanites. We, that's not a problem. And in fact, you won't even have to fight all of them. I'll send the hornets out there, and they'll dispel them on it. Yeah, probably going to be a lion. <laughs> what are we going to do about the lions that are out there? Everything becomes a problem. Everything, everything is a hassle to the Israelites in the wilderness. I find that a similarity between them and us today. I mean, have you heard this resonate with people today? Oh, man, that was a real hassle. <laughs> Everything is a hassle to everybody today. I'm kind of a victim mentality. You know, if I have to wait an extra 30 seconds for my hamburger at McDonald's, I have just been done wrong. I've done, and which, is, which is why this concept of meekness is so important because it's this idea of being imposed upon, right? Everything is a hassle. I'm being imposed upon by this stuff. That's where the resonating comes in, in my mind, with, with meekness. So I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think you're, you're right in observation that there's something just weird about growing up in this slavery culture being liberated, and not just liberated, they just showered them with all their gold. I ah, just take it all. Just, just leave us alone. Please don't come back, right? Closed. There's no more vacancy. The whole land of Goshen. Nah, sorry. We're converting it. We're going to build condos, right? It's just not something we want you involved in. Please leave. And besides, all our firstborn children got killed. All the cattle got killed, right? There's an abundance of testimonies that you should be glad to get out of here. Take the interstate and head south or head north, right? Northeast. And they don't. They just wander around and they find ample reason to complain about everything to the point where God says, all right, everybody line up 20 years and older. You're all just going to die someday in the wilderness. Imagine what kind of demoralizing effect that would have on how would you like to lead a group of people who eventually are just whittling down and they're staring at each other and say, you know, one day... When old Bob dies, we're going to get to the promised land. How you feeling, Bob? <laughs> right? I mean, at some point, they all had to just whittle away, right? And everybody knows God had promised there not one of these people are going to make it. And just like Vulture staring at Bob, really, I, I've been thinking about the promised land. I'd like to get over there, but you're sort of in the way. At some point, there was one dude left, right? And so they had to wait for that guy to die before they could get in there. But there was nothing that could keep these people from being discontent and expressing that discontent about what God had promised. And in Psalm 106, Psalm 106, I think, is a wonderful description of the problem. You don't know what's good for you. You're not going to believe my word. Then you're going to walk around and complain about this stuff, and you're not going to obey my voice. Right here is a description of the soul that's in a state of discontent and how it was such a disaster. Psalm 106 says, don't do this again, right? Don't, don't, don't. Learn your lesson. Stay away. And that's what we see here. So. Dan. Perhaps the most problematic part of history teaches us is that nobody learns from history. So it's really useful to have 
church history as well, but it's scriptural history. Speaking of Mickey's comment about the generations we live in and our culture as well, I'm noticing, and this is a huge jumping off point that we can't go into, but these, these themes, victimhood, murmuring, etc., I think are, this is one of the strongest tenets in modern therapy culture, worship of therapy. You don't need to buy what you need therapy. This is one of the strongest components of a modern, the modern therapeutic self. Well, this idea of learning from history is important. I want to give uh, one more example here that I, I hope will appear in a new light, maybe in a different light. So Paul, Paul's got a heavy burden on his hands, right? He's, at some point he says, I'm going to the Gentiles and I'm going to talk to them. Imagine what kind of Herculean task that was, that you're leaving all of your old Jewish ways and your people, and you're going to go talk to Gentiles about Jesus. But somehow you've got to communicate the last few thousand years of history embedded in all that, right? So he writes to the church of Corinth, and he knew that these folks, what did anybody in Corinth really know about God's redemptive work across thousands of years, and Abraham and Korah, and the earth opening up? I mean, it's probably didn't know a lot about this stuff. And he knew they would be unfamiliar, but yet he tells them that this history has been recorded for us, and then it's repeated again in Psalm 106. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to read a few verses, then we'll look at some verses, some additional verses. He writes, Moreover, brethren, this is starting in verse 1, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Paul's emphasizing that we need to change the title of Numbers 14, the murmurers in their carcasses. All right, so he tells them they're our fathers in the wilderness. They ate the same food we did. They had the same Jesus we did. That's what he's saying, is that they had the same spiritual rock. They had Jesus, just like you have Jesus. And look at what happened to them. God was not pleased with them. So I do not want you to be unaware. But then let's take a look at verses 6 through 11. Now these things, these events in Numbers, for instance, in Psalm 106, became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil's things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admiration upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Wow. So Paul says, look, you need to learn from these people, and the relationship between you and them is that they too were following Christ. That's the point he's making. You're following Jesus. 
they were following Jesus. It was Jesus in the wilderness. That very point is the one Stephen makes to this angry crowd in Acts 7, that it was he who was in the wilderness preaching to our fathers. That's the Jesus. Paul's saying, you had the same spiritual food they have. You have the same spiritual drink, the same spiritual law. You have the same thing in front of you that they had in front of them. The light's different. It's brighter over here. It's not. The signs are not exactly the same, the pillars and that sort of thing. It's, it's different, but it's, and it's a gradual increasing light. But make no mistake, Paul is saying, you have in front of you a lesson to be learned about things like sexual immorality, idolatry. We're going to look at the nexus of how these things overlap in, in future classes, but particularly about complaining, about complaining what God is doing with your life. That's the point he's making. Nor complain, as some of them also complain. Now you may think that sexual immorality, that had to be bad. The idolatry was terrible. What about the complaining? Where is it in your taxonomy? Jude says ten thousands of his saints are coming. Watson describes it as mutineering. God describes it as rebellion. And this is a point Paul's making. Don't be like them. Learn from them. But he has one more thing to say about this. Not only that they were written for our admonition, but let's look for a minute at these last two verses here, which I think are an important verse. It probably came in a verse pack if you guys had things to memorize. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common. What temptation is he talking about? What is he referring to? So he's, in the earlier part of this chapter, he's saying, remember, all this is written for you. This is for your benefit. The wise will consider numbers, will consider the Psalms, will consider what I'm writing. Paul knew what he was writing. And they'll meditate on this and realize that I too can escape this temptation. So how many of you have at one point in your life memorized that part of the verse, no temptation is common? It's right many people are taught to do this but what temptations do you think come to mind that god says he promises you have a way of escape from lots of things circulate in the mind but did the temptation to complain and murmur come to mind so what if we rewrote this passage and said no temptation to murmur grumble or complain has overtaken you, that you do not have a way of escape. What if we inserted those words in there? Which is exactly what Paul wants you to do. He just got done describing that being one of the chief sins of the children of Israel. But he's saying, you have the ability not to murmur, complain, and grumble. No temptation has overcome you. That there isn't some way of escape. And Christ is that way of escape. Isn't it interesting? Paul tells us, you 
are not a slave like the children of Israel was. You can escape the temptation of murmuring. Comments, questions, we're at the end. Dan. Right with that is the temptation of fixate on your circumstances, which I see happening. I, I, I have that temptation a lot, and many that I'm with, with us. It's a very strong temptation all the time, which goes with the rest of the class that we've had so far about this being independent of your circumstances. But grumbling and complaining usually goes right hand in hand with fixation on, I mean, you're basically making that point in this class, fixation on all of the bad things that you see in your life. Right. Temptation to fixate on those. It's a good comment. What else? Would you say grumbling or murmuring is as a person as its object? Sure. Yeah. I think it does. Um, one of the things that puzzles my mind is when when people exclaim something, who are they talking to? When, when they're not being deliberate in, I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Um, I don't think I can right at the moment, but these, these exclamations that we make in our life of frustration or other things, who are they directed to? What, what is, who's listening? Now, sometimes people have a need to speak, but God's listening. He's listening to the words, he's listening to the sounds, and he's listening to the inclinations of the heart, if you will. Um, he says he heard, them, he heard them in their complaints in their tents. Everything alike is clear to God. So when you're, when you're murmuring, God's listening. So I, I, don't, I don't think you can murmur in a vacuum. Now, maybe somebody's got a different perspective, but right now I'm in the position that, no, murmuring, um, murmuring is not a um, neutral expression of the heart. That's how, maybe that's how I would describe it. There are no neutral expressions of the heart. Well, maybe God has a Facebook and TikTok account. I mean, I can just think of the heart. Today's exchange of these things, these murmurings and whatnot, the dominance of social, social media is the, the, the medium for exchanging that. I guess that's outside the tent. That's right. Inside the yeah. Any other comments or questions? Who's that? The temptations. Yeah. Some temptations are okay. Some temptations are not okay. That's, that's the point of that. I did kind of wonder if maybe that one was a little older and you had to be a certain age to get it. I wasn't quite sure. But some temptations are okay. And if you're interested in what those temptations are, Look at the slides, <laughs> and you'll see. So, cool.